are listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. Hello friends, this episode is brought to you by Saucy Farm. Located in Wiggins, Mississippi, they're the premier Australian stock horse stud in North America. Proudly standing are Ballandown Zorro, Hayden Satellite, and Stonebrook Finno. Ballandown Zorro has fresh cooled semen with a live full guarantee. Hayden Satellite and Stonebrook Finno have a limited supply of frozen semen. Ballandown Zorro offspring have proven time and time again that athleticism, endurance, speed, and intelligence are just a few of the qualities his offspring possess on their way to close to 200 best playing pony awards. Zorro offspring are also exceptional in hunter jumper and eventing discipline. Hayden Satellite comes from the famous Hayden Horse Stud in Australia and is currently proving himself on the polo cross field. Satellite offspring were awarded best playing horse in international test matches in 2019 and his offspring have now started to make a name for themselves in the jumping arena. Stonebrook Finno is the premier sire in Australia for polo cross. Saucy Farm is near and dear to my heart. By purchasing our two stallions two years ago, Karen and Charles have carried on the legacy of my family and the hard work that my mother put into bringing the Australian stock horses to the United States for the sport of polo cross. All four of my horses are a result of that breeding program, and you just can't go wrong. Saucy Farm and Australian stock horses, a breed for every need. You can find them on Facebook or call 228-263-0930. Hi, I'm Kat Liner, and I'm the proud owner of two Zorro babies, Keystone Playmate, who's 14, and Zuma, who is 5, as well as one satellite baby, Keystone Rating Star, Aru, who just turned 8. My family bought Playmate and ruined directly as a fresh 6-year-old in 2012 as a horse for me to develop and to progress to 8 grade, and we are so lucky to have Aru born on the farm the same year. Playmate picked up on polo cross so quickly and has been my main playing horse since 2013, carrying me from local and national tournaments to international tours and exchanges. What never ceases to amaze me about her is the intense love she has for the game. Before each lineup, everyone around or on the field can see how excited she is for the ball to be thrown. Additionally, her athleticism and power, despite her petite stature, blow me away each time I'm able to meet a once turn in the 30 or avoid pressure in the midfield. This trend of passion and athletic ability is also seen in Zuma, who continues to impress at our club practices and at the Sugarloaf Play Day held in July. While she is still figuring out each aspect of the game, we have high hopes that she will live up to the impressive offspring in the Zora bloodline. Rue, a direct cross with Playmate and Hayden Satellite, was broken and started with Dory Johnson before we bought her back to begin her polo cross career in 2017. In fact, the first tournament she played was alongside her sire and it was amazing to see the similarities between the two of them. Since then, her temperament and power have made her a favorite of my teammates to play and ride at practices and on the farm. There is no question about the success of these incredible studs for producing machines on the field and I look forward to seeing the development of these lines in the future. I'm so happy that the Saucies are continuing the work of Marilyn Murphy in promoting the Australian stock horse, which is truly the breed for every need. On this episode of Chugga Talk, you'll meet Damian Harris, two-time Zambian World Cup team player and captain. Along with special co-host Rahul Desai, we discuss what it was like growing up in Zimbabwe in the pinnacle years of polo cross and the story of a family displaced to South Africa. We discuss the many ins and outs of what it takes to play at the top level and much more. 
Here on Chaka Talk, the goal is to shrink the pull across the world by connecting people together, and most importantly, to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy. How's it going? Good, Ron. How are you? I'm great. Good. How's it, man? Good, Raul. How are you, man? Yeah, good, good. Can't complain. You working night shift? Yeah, this week I was on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Bit of a bummer, <laughs> but such is life, I guess. Yeah, but at you the moment I'm working night the... shift, day shift. Baby just decides <laughs> when we're working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. Congratulations, Jack. That's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a bit of a change. How's Nicky doing? Yeah, Nick's as well. Eh? He's, he's been a little bit colicky, so he's struggling a bit at night with sleep. Other than that, Nick's is doing well. And Jack's healthy, so can't complain too much. Because he was how many weeks early? Uh, he was five weeks. It was good a bit thing, of a uh, tough start, but uh, he's fine now. When you sent the news, I told Sarah, I said, shit, good thing it wasn't when he was in the bush, because you were in the bush that the weekend before, right? Is it? No, that day. Well, I, oh, on the shit. Saturday, I was, <laughs> uh, we do this um, fundraiser called the Elephant Charge. We raise money for conservation efforts. Yeah, basically sort of. You get in a four by four car and you, there's a bit of a race and all of that. Uh, and you normally camp out at the bush because it's so far out. Anyways, luckily I just decided to come home that night afterwards. So I left sure. about seven, got home at 10, woke up uh, Sunday morning and Nick was in labor. <laughs> that would have been hectic so, if you were all stuck out there. Yeah, all my mates were driving in the next morning saying, you know, did you get back all right? It's like, yep. And we, there's, there's three of us now. And they're like, <laughs> what? Already? because <laughs> oh, there's no signal out there as well so i wouldn't have had any comms can you imagine the flack you would have caught if you missed that <laughs> can you imagine man i would have driven in to just mess just going where are you he's coming <laughs> oh man that's crazy i saw that on promoting that elephant charge trying to raise funds that you're the yeah. long distance runner and the cameraman and uh yes yeah <laughs> pick up slack for the the older runners are you talking about chaps I'm talking about chaps. Yeah, so myself <laughs> and chaps are the long runners. And uh, believe it or not, Only he's the second youngest. Only thing chaps run his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, he keeps me entertained because we do go ahead of the vehicle anywhere between sort of 100 and 500 meters for eight hours. So it, it is entertaining having him there to keep the spirits up. But I often have to drag him up the hill, which is difficult. <laughs> So who's besides, driving? Besides Chaps and Cody, those might be the two funniest people I think I've I've ever met. Definitely in yeah. Paul, sure. The driver is one of our um, is our team captain. He's the guy who owns the vehicle, non Polycross okay. guy. So you're scouting for the best way to get. What do you yeah. Use? So there's ten checkpoints. There's an eight hour window that you have to complete it by. So you have to get to each checkpoint within eight hours. And the goal is shortest distance, not fastest. It's got to be as straight as possible. It's a new route every year. And they only release the location of the, the elephant charge two days before the event. Mm. So no one can go and scout it uh, beforehand. So you get given the coordinates the night before, I think at about seven o'clock. And then everyone rushes off to their little team campsites and starts plotting the route, mm. having a look at the map and trying to find what's the shortest route and what traps we won't be able to do, what traps we can do with a car. So it's good fun. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. Where, where is this outside of Lusaka? Anywhere. It's normally uh, towards the Zambezi Valley. It's in the escarpment, but some years it goes uh, east towards Malawi. We don't know. Every year it's different. How long have you been in Zambia? So I've been in Zambia now nine years. So you yeah. were... I initially came up thinking I'd be here for six months, and then here I am nine years later. Yeah, I remember when Raul and I, and I went over in 2012, I played yeah. against you and you and Ross. So yes, that's, when, yeah, yeah. that's when you were just getting there. Yeah, we've been there six months. Awesome. It's been a while. I mean, I haven't seen you since you, since then, I think, right? I've been from action for a while. 
I know. I don't know what the African version of walkabout is, but that's kind of what I did. I took a break. <laughs> and, okay, uh, fair enough. <laughs> and, and I'm I'm back, but uh, are you back and playing? Yeah, trying to. I'm, oh, I'm pretty isolated up here. I actually played against Raul a few weeks ago. I took a few off him in the lineup. We had a good little battle going. <laughs> good. <laughs> had to, good had to, to keep, his, keep his spirits up and not let him get too down on himself. <laughs> well, <laughs> I went out on top though in that that Zambia trip. That was that was awesome. You, that was the, the best hosted, the best experience I've had, you know, as far as yeah. the, the tourist side of things. And oh, that's good to know. Well, I must say, when we came to America, I mean, I know you were out of action, but um, Rahul and Braxton and Robbie, everyone hosted us so well. It was one of our favorite tours. Um, what are some memories so that you have? Yeah, what? anything specific you remember? Watching being punched by a girl was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Uh, what caused that? Oh, don't um, even I won't go into too much detail, but okay. um, yeah, he, he upset. Well, him and I think it was <laughs> um, <laughs> upset this girl by they took her car for a walkabout, like you did. And uh, anyway, yeah, she she wasn't too happy, and, and then this dick. <laughs> all of us were very like, what the yeah, just happened. Where was that? <laughs> what what city? That was in at the, I field, the name of the Tennessee. club. Yeah, Tennessee. it was in Tennessee. In okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Did you did you get two weekends of play or three? How long were you here? We got two weekends. So we did a sort of exhibition game against the sort of potentials for the next World Cup. Rahul and uh, Braxton, Robbie. Uh, there was a few other youngsters, uh, and then we did a coaching during the day. So myself and Steph did basically a coaching clinic for two days. And then we, we did the exhibition game at night. And then the following weekend, we drove up to Minnesota. We played played up there in, in a tournament. And they mixed us up into the into the club teams. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Actually, Garrett gave me a... I've still got a score on my chin here. <laughs> Thinking about a couple of weeks ago, we were playing at um, Sandy Creek in Atlanta and playing on the same section as Kat. And she... I don't even remember what... The ball was getting thrown in or something in the lineout. And somehow or the other, she ended up getting up gash on her chin and so uh <laughs> she was obviously upset you know young girl with this scar and i said don't worry i've yeah. had practice with this ask dumbs about it we uh <laughs> we fixed him up a couple of years ago so just give me a few yeah. minutes you'll look as good as new so <laughs> <laughs> thank I, goodness I have... for that glue because when you came with the needle yeah. i wasn't too impressed <laughs> I have this funny story with almost getting my ass kicked by a girl. I was dating oh, this yeah? girl. I was dating this girl, and then I broke up with her. And then I was umpiring, okay. and I threw the ball, and she was the one, and I accidentally hit her in the helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and she thought I did it on purpose, so she came at me. <laughs> so someone had to get in the way, and she lost. On the horse. Yeah, she lost it. Yeah, because she thought <laughs> I did it on purpose. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's a good. Yeah, it's a good story. I feel like that had to have a huge influence on the world cup team you being over there what were the big things that you wanted to impart on them we're still in the sort of the awkward transition learning phase yeah. but uh, what were the big things that you remember about basically when we went over we, we we went there to try and introduce some drills that we do leading up to our world cup squad trainings or any tour tour trainings so we first we worked on the individual drills that you could do at home improving your stick work um the game has developed say from the 90s where it, you know it was very uh, relied on horse horsemanship which obviously it still is but that was kind of the the main focus was horsemanship and then you know the african style polo cross um between south africans Zimbabwe, and zimbabwe and now zambia developed into 
getting better ball skills. So if you were on a on a horse not as good as your opponent, you could try and use your, your stick work um, to to outplay them. So we wanted to introduce some some stick work drills uh, from what we do. Uh, we didn't do too much on the horsemanship side because I think you know the Australians have been there many times to coach you guys, and and they are very good horsemen. So we didn't focus on that too much, and then just to try to work on the mental on your mental sort of uh, capacity, getting prepared for the big games and how to handle pressure. That's pretty much what we did when we came over. But obviously playing against them, you know, it was like Dom said, it was a social kind of exhibition game. So even though we were competing against each other, you know, they were great and kind of giving you tips and bits and tips and fixing some errors and good uh, competition to play with them and against them. The coaching clinic, um, majority, I think 80, 90% of the players were, were club were your club players. While we did the coaching clinic, you guys as a team went off and did your sort of you know, preparation for the game. Right. Uh, so we didn't work too much with the actual team. It was more with the club members. And I, I don't know if they managed to pick up, you know, if the team managed to pick up anything, having a peek over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely use, still use some of the, the ground drills, especially, like you said, the stick work and the hand-eye drills and whatnot to kind of get your eye tuned into the ball. But I think our, our big challenge here is we have these big distances between us, between the top players. Yeah. We're now, now so they're in the South, Texas, Alabama, the, the, the Hamlins, you know, Robbie and, you know, the, the Lone Star crew and then Raul in North Carolina. So we're so spread out and we only get so many tournaments a year and it's not necessarily against yeah. people that are better than us. That's the big challenge here is, you know, getting tough players to come over and whoop on us a little bit because when I go to other countries to play, I'm always playing catch up. The speed is a little bit quicker. You yeah. can't sit around and watch, and it might take a chucker to do that. And you can't, you don't, you can't afford to do that at the World Cup. So that's something that we yeah. struggle with in yeah, Zambia. In Zambia, you have lower numbers, but you seem to. I mean, everyone's really consolidated into one area at least, right? I'd say about eighty percent of our players come from the soccer area. So it is. We don't have the distance problem, but we do have a small. You know, one of the smaller playing nations with 50, 60 members. Um, so but we, are, yeah. we all live close. How many of them would have challenged you? How many of them, you know, and how many tournaments do you get a year? Tournaments in a year, we'll probably get probably six or seven. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always maybe one or two fun ones where it's all about bringing in, trying to find new players, bringing them into the sport. Um, like there's a veterans tournament, a ladies tournament. So that one... We, we sort of just help out where we can. We don't really play, obviously. But I'd say six or seven tournaments. And in, in the beginning, there wasn't many high-level players in the A division. I think in about 2012, 2013, when you were over, uh, Pat Chappell, Richard's uh, mum, started a junior program, which is still going today. That was brilliant because she brought in a lot of new juniors who from outside from Polo Cross, brought them in and got their families involved. Mm. And a lot of those juniors now are playing top A division. I mean... Last year's Zambian Open was won by a team. I mean, they had Yanni Stenkamp, who played one of the best tournaments I've ever seen him play. But the rest of the players were basically the juniors that had come up and end up winning the, the tournament. That was really nice to see. So it is becoming more challenging now. I still go to South Africa to play in tournaments there. Um, as you say, you know, trying to play against that top, top level to keep your standard uh, is important, which you guys struggle with. Uh, we struggle with that a little bit here, although it's getting better. But right. luckily for us, South Africa's... Two, two and a half hour flight away. That's how I try and keep my level to sort of a top player's playing standard. Besides the high goal, uh, what other tournaments do you get to in South Africa? In South Africa, there, there was the season 2018 before the 2019 World Cup. I actually played for the Cape Unicorns team in Cape 4, which is the Cape Top team with Yanni Stenkamp, Retief, 
and my brother Steph. So in that year, I played the Natal Champs, the South African Champs, and I think there was one other tournament uh, which we won, which was quite quite good. So we won those tournaments. Obviously, the high goal, which is by far my favorite tournament. Compare that to your toughest games at the World Cup. I mean, I mean, you were against Raul in that first chukka on Jimmy Grill's best horse, which must have been pretty amazing yeah. to have that horse. Very good. Um, yeah, you, had a, you had a warm-up with Raul there. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, so I was telling Ryan, I just went back and was watching a <laughs> video like two nights ago and kicking myself because, as you said, you, you learn bad habits here because you can get away with them and you know you get yep. the ball i got the ball a couple of times out the back and here you have five six ten seconds even before you get someone on you and so you have lots of time <laughs> to think whereas there the second you get the ball you've got not just one but two sometimes three people on you so it's it's just yep. a world that we you know you're not used to and you know you and i have talked plenty times before and you just have to keep exposing yourself and getting other players yep. and playing young horses and what until you get there. But anyways. Yeah, so the World Cup versus that high goal. I'd say the high goal level was definitely the highest level I've played, including World Cup. But I would say the World Cup, you've got the intensity is a bit higher. I think you're playing for a lot more. You're representing your country. And there's more emotions involved. It's quite hard to compare the two. Which one would I rather play? And I'd want to play in both because World Cup, it's awesome representing your country, getting right. on the field, singing the anthem. You, you get that, that buzz and, you know, in your stomach not to say you don't in the high goal but there's just that extra emotion attached to it uh, but when it came to the actual level of playing um i don't think i've ever played in high quality politics like that that south african high goal was i mean that final myself my brother and john ray pretty much played as a section and we took on the other section was jim girls up front lance anderson out back and the number two switched out between Gav Cocker and Andrew Haynes. So you've got some of the best. I mean, basically, the Aussie team had just won the World Cup. We, that's the section we played against. And then the other section of that team was Graham McClarty, Trav Tim, uh, and a couple of youngsters who are up and coming in South Africa. So you, then you basically had the South African section. I mean, we had uh, Yanni playing for us, which was quite nice. Um, so he played against his teammates. Um, but that level was probably the best I've ever played in. Still trying to get yeah. my hand on the video from that after you guys told me how how good of a game it was. We'll get I haven't video. watched it yet because I'm still angry about a couple of the umpiring calls in the last chapter, but we won't go there. <laughs> when we used to watch video of our play, this is way back when Joy Poole was our coach and we, we watched it in mute, Not can't hear anything. It's not there to complain about what happened with the umpiring. It's to talk about, you know, to look at what's going on and try to try Absolutely. to make use of it. Do you get to do that ever? Get to ever actually watch games and analyze? Is that a big part of it? Yeah, definitely. Especially before going on a tour or World Cup preparation. Then I, I've saved all my videos on my computer. And, um, you know, when I start, when we start the training, I'll watch them and try and look at what I can improve on. For me specifically, I normally play a three. So I'm always watching my setup. I'm a bit shorter than, than most of the number threes around the world, bar Rahul. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think, in general, I think I was, I'm. Uh... I'm the shortest there. I think I claim that. Time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because I'm the shortest, I'm always competing for reach. And obviously being a number three, that's quite important. So to combat that, I'm always looking at how I can better my setup so that I can have access to, you know, either pulling or catching the ball or clearing the guy's stick. Because sometimes I will get caught out where I can't reach the guy's stick and I leave it wide open for a catch or a pull. And that's because I've set up too much to go out the back and because I'm shortish, um, I can't, you know, clear the stick or something. So that's always something I'll use. I'll, I'll use the videos to watch myself. And then obviously 
being the captain, I'll also look at the team and how the team can improve and what value I can import into the strategy chats that we'll have with coach. But other than that, I don't really watch videos like now, you know, with the COVID no season, I haven't watched any videos, but I've got them on my computer and I'll definitely get onto them before the season or the, or the next tour comes along. Hopefully it'll be a high goal next year, but who knows, right? And is that, it's every year. And every then World, year, yeah. World Cup, in your mind, you're, you're on the next team already? It's, it's still three years away, I suppose. We've got a lot of juniors coming up. Obviously, the last two, I've played with Mikey Kernel as the number one, uh, which has been a lot of fun. But I think he's played his last one. I'm not too sure if he's made a call on it yet, but I'm pretty sure. We'll be looking a lot of, at a younger team uh, coming in. So it might be worthwhile. Well, I'd love to go and help play with the youngsters and sort of bring them in. I take my experience as a, as a leader and, try and develop them, really. Um, I don't know if we'll be going with a winning team, but we'll always go there to win. I think the focus will be to develop the players um, because they definitely have the potential to win a World Cup if we can get them on the right track now. So the goal might be to send them to South Africa as much as possible. Is that what you're thinking? Or Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It would be good. You know, South Africa is always a better World Cup for us because similar horses. We also know, sorry, we also know the horses there. When you draw your pool, it's easier for us to start picking which are the one horses, which are the three horses, which are the better ones, etc. Uh, the Aussie one's always a bit harder for us because we don't know the horses. So we've got to try and figure that out in that week leading to the World Cup, which is always a bit more difficult. And also, you know, it's quite nice having our grooms. So we're not used to going to Aussie and having to walk our horses four times a day. <laughs> that's that, the biggest biggest perk there the u.s will take credit for that where that's the best thing we're, we're good at in 2003 <laughs> we, we were walking our horses like crazy because we had joy pool tremendous horse you know yeah. horse woman she had a big influence on that on managing the horses okay uh, and I, we've i've heard that uh the south african horses are just going like this they're just getting better and better every year I, I'm sure they yep. they don't they don't want to play second fiddle to Australia, right? So they're oh absolutely. So the facility and the horses are just going to be yeah. crazier than 2015. I think so. Yeah, Bruce McCarty does a good job in rounding up horses. Um, he's very he's very good at that. Yeah, I think the 20 what is it 2023 World Cup that's going to ha happen there. There'll be some serious horsepower. I, I last interviewed the Grills, and they they talked about how Lucy and Jimmy part of their strategy was to have as many horses as they could in in the pools. Is yeah. there anyone like that in South Africa that that can pull together a lot of horses, or is it just some here, some from there? Uh, definitely, I know uh, Bruce. Bruce's, you know, he's got a lot of horses. He's got a farm where he, he's got the ability to have a lot of horses. So he's definitely very similar to the Grills, uh, where they'll find as many horses as they can. So that whichever pool they they draw, uh, Graham or Natalie or Paula, whoever is in the team, knows that horse very well. Same with Yanni Steenkamp. He, he was very good, and, and that's what he did very well in the 2015 World Cup. Yanni made sure, uh, actually all of them, to be honest. Every they, uh, I think that was the one. Weren't they required, I'm not sure if the number is accurate, but if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, each player had to put in like 16 horses or something. So if you, uh, that, if you drew one of those horses in your pool, you, so you couldn't just put in, you know, any old dog. You had to, if you drew that yeah. horse, you were expected to be able to play it. You think about each player have, if, if 16 is the right number, but even if it wasn't even half of that eight, I mean, one player putting in eight horses is unreal. Yeah. Imagine having to do that. I think it was, it was a great, great strategy that they used because one of the advantages of having obviously uh, a World Cup in your home countries, you know the horses. Take the liberty, you know, go and find 16 horses for each player. Get to know exact every single one of those horses so that when you draw, 
your pool. You know two of those horses, uh, and you don't have to waste time trying to figure out positions and what does this horse do, etc. So that is a big advantage that South Africa and Australia have in a World Cup. They have the World Cups always in one of their their countries. They do well and taking advantage of it. I would do too. I remember in the first World Cup, some, some of the African countries struggled managing the horses and they just didn't have them at the end. I just, I remember that. Yeah. I, everyone's gotten better at managing the horses and it's become more of a racket forward game. Even Australia has adapted to the African style. So that has to have leveled the playing field in a major way to your advantage. It's just going to be, yeah, it's going to be a phenomenal World Cup. Yeah, I think it's a matter of time before a country other than South Africa or Australia wins the World Cup. We came very close in 2015 to doing it in SA. Uh, I know the final, they end up running away a little bit, but at one stage we were hit, you know, and a few things went wrong. But I, I think it's a matter of time because, as you said, the level is catching up. Uh, and you look at this 2019 World Cup, how many upsets there were. New Zealand beat South Africa. Then Ireland beat New Zealand. Right. It, the, all the games were close, pretty much all of them. Uh, by the ones against Aussie, I mean, Aussie did walk away a little bit with it this year, or this last year. But yeah, the level's definitely catching up. Everyone you talk to kind of have that same thing that, you know, a matter of, even though the score might be, you know, nine, 10 goals, it comes down to three, four plays in the game that could have, if they went your way, may, might make a difference in the outcome. And yeah. like I'm telling Ryan, you take that hour game against you guys and our, our ladies actually played quite well. Kind of carried well. up and I think actually might have come up on top, maybe or even. And the, the boys just uh, forgot how to play there for a minute. Maybe the shell shock, but <laughs> games like that, and you yep. know, one or two balls go your way, and who knows what happens. Um, yep. We've only had two Zimbabweans that stayed in this country, and one of them's Raul. Who? What year did you come over, Raul? Two thousand. Because of our wonderful education system, and I'm sure many other reasons, but he came and stayed, and he, you know, he married and had a few children, so that he's pretty much locked in. Gordon Duff was another one. Yep. He came and married Anna, who's a lawyer in Texas, and he's hugely successful. Back in the day, do, do you know Craig Myrams? <laughs> so this was I, I, this I was a gift. Name, but I... Yeah, this oh, is a wow. gift. Yeah, from uh, yeah. back in 2001 when Craig and I don't know all their Jeez, names. That brings back memories. Gordy and what was the other yeah. guy, the guy's name? I've heard the stories, but I, okay. much, obviously I wasn't I wasn't even playing in the U.S. back then since I didn't know polo cross existed here. This was 2012. I, I just thought I'd pop it. <laughs> That's Raul. Yeah, I know that one. I've got that one. I've got one of those. <laughs> so I was just saying we've had a couple of Zimbabweans here. I want to hear what hear you hear your stories about growing up in Zimbabwe, what it was like. Yeah. I know that the level at a time in Zimbabwe was just phenomenal. Your dad, a legend there. What was it like when you were growing up? Had that passed a little bit or was that in the prime? Growing up in um, Zimbabwe polo cross. From what I can start, you know, my first memories, it was Zim polo cross was in its prime. Uh, I, I remember going to tournaments where there was 500 players or people, yep. I don't know if there was 500 players, but there was 500 Jeez. people there. So when, when you watch the A Division final, it, you know, it gave you goosebumps because the, the sidelines were packed like as a World Cup final. And obviously, my dad was often in the finals. So I had a lot of you know, interest in it. And Rizawi was the club that my dad played for. And they were all, always competing with Featherston or Karoy or um, Cockers. Matepa Tepa. Yeah, it was, it was amazing watching those, those A-Division finals when there was 500 people around the field. It was, it was an amazing experience. It's what got me into Polacross. Um, I, I mean, I remember playing, you know, when I started playing, I think I must have been about seven. My first tournament, I think it might have been with Rahul for Gueru yeah. uh, at Featherston. I still remember playing like seven o'clock in the morning on, on a Saturday on the H field because that's how full I still, uh, I can still, I still remember growing up and like you said, back in those days, we, 
we would, as the juniors, we'd, we'd always play the early games. And you'd, like you said, it'd be seven o'clock on field, whatever, H, J. Yeah, and the, the, <laughs> the, the bar, field in the corner. Meanwhile, the, the, at the bar, the party and disco and whatnot still going. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, could, I still remember that to this day that I'm like, mean, here we are getting ready for the seven or eight o'clock game. And these oaks are still, you know, going hard at yeah. the bar. <laughs> that was, yeah, uh, definitely. That was yeah. a follow for us for you. Yeah, yeah it's it was quite like cool that we've done that. I talk mixture. about that all the time. We played our first tournament together and way back yeah. in whatever year that was. And then, yeah, moved and stopped, stopped talking for a while there and then caught up again in 2012. And ever since then, we've kind of kept in touch. And then funny that at the World Cup, we met again at the first game of the World Cup, which is quite cool. Yeah, so, played against each other first line-out. It was, uh, it was yeah, quite something. It was. Hopefully, there's many more of those games to come. Yep, definitely. Were you at the 2003 World Cup when your dad played for Zimbabwe? Yes, yeah. I, I came along and watched. Yeah, so it was, it was, again, a good experience. Tell me more about who were the big influences back then in Zimbabwe, the coaches, the players, I mean, anyone that we might recognize yeah. now. Greg Sargent can read the ancient scrolls because he's like the oldest person I know up there, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Greg. Um, I think, obviously, my dad was one of the influential roles. The guy, uh, a guy called Angus Alexander, who you probably don't, don't, I don't know if you remember, but he played with my dad in the 1997 World Series when Zimbabwe won. Uh, and that was basically the equivalent of a World Cup. It was the four best playing nations in the world at the time. It was Zim, Australia, South Africa, and New Zealand. Zimbabwe won hands down. They, they had to play each country twice and they didn't lose a game. Uh, but they ended up winning. And Angus Alexander was, was one of the top players there. Another one, obviously, was Gavin Cocker. Him and my dad, you know, played with and against each other since I don't know how long, since I can remember. Uh, so he was a big, big figure. Uh, Kane Matthews, Kane I think Matthews. he moved to New Zealand. He actually played in the 2003 World Cup for New Zealand, I think. Mm. So Kane Matthews is one that I can remember. Clive Johnson, he, he goes back a little bit Captain further. Brothers. I might have talked about him. He was a big figure. I didn't get to see Clive or remember much of his play, but I did hear a lot of stories of how good he was. He actually lives in Zambia now, so we catch up every now and then. So yeah, those are the big figures. That, and then from a ladies, lady side, Sue Sargent, uh, she was phenomenal in her day. Uh, Margot Wurzik, uh, Sally, at the time, Harris, now Kerry, my aunt, she's also a very, very good player. It was, I mean, I still remember watching Sue Sargent playing in the A-Division finals at that really? level as a three and, and dominating. Um, she was very, very good. Was it mixed play or is it women, women, men, men? It was mixed, but back then the level was, was very high and it was, uh, it was predominantly male in the A-Division uh, games. But Sue Sargent played in the A-level, Sally, Margot Wurzik, um, I think even Evie Stanley. These are the players I can remember. Paula Sargent. Paula, um, yeah. yeah. I just so remember you said, I remember Henry as, watching Henry as a one in the lineouts was just freakishly fast and quick. And yeah. I give him a hard time now that, that those were back in his prime and he, he says he still got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he claims he still has. Yeah. I did have a laugh. He obviously started going down in handicaps. Eventually, he went off a nine to an eight and et cetera. And he got to a seven and then he started playing some decent polo cross again. We did have a good laugh because the handicap committee said, look, Henry, we need to chat to you about your handicap. And he went, oh, am I going to six? No, we're putting you back to eight. <laughs> so he thinks he's still got it. <laughs> yeah, those were, the, those were the good old days. Growing up as juniors, watching that level was just unreal. Yeah. Yeah, it's Shannon crazy. Burbage was another one who who was really yeah. good to watch. He he was he was phenom phenomenal up the front. He was also very quick. Even the Bakers, um, Crunch and uh, Howie. 
but not, we, not back then, but a couple of years later than that, I think. A bit later, they were, yeah, yeah, crunchy, Howie, they were very good. That was sort of the next era, Greg Sarge, the mm. Bakers, Shannon, who was sort of taking over from my dad and Gav in that era. Who was the coach back then in the, like the 2003 World Cup? Who would have coached that team? That year, I think, was Toppy Baker, uh, okay. Andy, uh, Crunchy, and Howie's dad. Before that, I think, Mr. Keith. So, I, I can't remember his first name, but you know he was a senior back then. Rahul yeah. might remember his name. I, I couldn't, couldn't even tell you too long ago. I think he was coach. My granddad did a bit of coaching, I think, John, because he, he was a good player you know, back in his day. <laughs> I don't know how long ago that was. So I can't really remember the coaches that well. Um, I okay. was a bit too young, too. Back then, it was all about the players, you know, when, you, when you're 9, 10. <laughs> yeah. When did Polacross hit Zimbabwe? What, when, what year? Any idea? Which is, I'll guess in the 70s, it might have started a bit earlier, but I think it, it sort of got going in the 70s, 80s. Because my granddad started when he must have been about 16, 17, and he became quite a good So I'm guessing I'd probably start maybe even in the 60s. Uh, I don't know the exact exact year, but I think it was it started to really get popular in the 80s and, and in the 90s is when Zim Polycross was in its prime. At some point, you know, that start, the numbers started going down and people were getting displaced. I remember it was probably 2002. Craig Myrams was emailing us back, back here and saying, I only have a few minutes to chat, message because they're hunting me down. They're going to you know, beat me up, all that stuff. Yeah. So did your family get displaced about th- at that point? Is there anyone still there from your family? Yeah, we, we farmed in a in an area called Rizawi, which is where Rizawi uh, Polycross Club was. It's next to a small town called Marindera. So my granddad actually still lives in Marindera. But we, we were farming and then obviously we got displaced. Um, a couple of times we had to leave the farm uh, and go and stay with uh, my, my grandparents had a house. So a couple of times we did have to sort of evacuate, if you want to call it, get off the farm because they were coming to beat us or whatever the or whatever their plan was. And that happened, I think, two or three times before we actually lost the farm because eventually we did, you know, we did lose the farm and then we got given, I think it was three months to get off. Yeah, it was it was quite challenging because obviously our lifestyle was farming and, and polycross and horses and Right. Uh, so the outdoor life and then we had to go into um into town and um into a ride which was a, a big change because now we had you know a lot of horses actually it resulted in a funny story which you might enjoy we we had to move our horses to a racetrack um because that, that was the only place that yeah Borodale, uh where we had to keep our horses and then myself and uh Donnie swan i'm sure you guys know Donnie, obviously that our horses were there and we, we i think we were 12 13 14 trying to impress some girls so we we decided to 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 take them you know show off a little bit to the racetrack and show them how we could ride horses and they weren't riders anyway we didn't have enough horses for them so we ended up borrowing the next door yards race horses and put them on without asking and i don't know there was a bit of a story i won't go into too much detail but we put them on these horses and then to get to the polycross field which is in the middle of the track we had to get onto the track sand track we obviously started at a walk and then the race horses with amateur riders on decided they needed to race and took off. And um, these girls then threw, threw down the sticks and whatever to hold on to the horses. So myself and Donnie sort of stopped and had a laugh. Oh, they'll be fine, you know, young and dumb and pick up the sticks. Next thing, the front horse tripped oh. and went down and caused a bit of a pile up. <laughs> oh, no. We had, we had a bit of a situation on our hands. That, you know, we must have been 13, 14 and... Jeez. A couple of the girls were quite badly injured and the ambulance had to come. And, you know, now we had to explain to, you know, our parents and their parents, you know, all these wow. girls were in hospital. And the horses now also, we had to explain to the owners because some of the horses got a bit hurt in the fall. 
Well, as they say, yeah. when you fall off, you got to get back on. So are these girls still riding today? Any idea? <laughs> to be honest, I don't know because we never heard back from them. <laughs> we, we didn't win on winning them over. So we didn't get any ice cream dates after that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was on my farm in North Carolina a while back, and I was trying to impress a girl. Were you at that party, row? I don't know. Uh, which, which one? There were so many well, parties there. <laughs> I, I took her out to the paddock, and we were petting one of the horses. It was lying down, and I had my, my utility vehicle. It's called a Kawasaki Mule. And I was coming down the hill full speed, and I, I hit the, the, the brake. Oh, and it, so. it went like this and then fell on its side, <laughs> onto her side. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, it you know, she didn't get too hurt or anything. She was fine. Pretty dramatic, <laughs> but it didn't, you know, it's not like I saw her after that. <laughs> I tried. Uh, but <laughs> so you, you pulled the handbrake, did you? Did you yeah. try that check? And it just flipped right over. <laughs> but Top yeah. Gear is not going to be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so did your horses have to be individually penned at, or in stalls at the track or was there turnout there? Yeah, so to start off with, they just had spare stables. We didn't really have paddocks. For well, the first month or so, I think they just stayed in the stables, uh, in the pens. And then until we found a place which would, you know, could accommodate all our horses. So it took us maybe a month or two to to get you know, maybe a bit more to settle in with the horse from the horses find a place where we'll be able to ride try, uh, you know uh, keep them fit um, ha and have enough paddocks because a lot of zimbabwean farmers had horses but it was quite a problem coming into harare because everyone basically moved to harare if they didn't leave the country because that's the only place you could you know try and make ends meet it was quite tough trying to balance all of it because you know all these farmers had horses that now had no hope. So it was quite something. So they were there, and then you said you found a situation. Was that off the track nearby or still on the track? No, it was off the track. So we okay. found, a, you know, there was a, a couple of horse areas where there was some, you know, horse estates, basically. So it was actually called Clouds End. So remember it. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay. When was the next time you had to move or family? So we were there for two years, and then obviously Zimbabwe was was going through a lot, and trying to make money in Zim was close to impossible mm -hmm. to keep money because they kept getting tired for me. So we ended up moving to yes. South Africa. So that was the next move. Two years later, we sort of sold sort of bottom end horses because we did have a decent strength as the whole family played, mm -hmm. and we must have come to SA with probably about six or seven horses. So it was quite a move. It was, I think, a three-day trip for the horses, which I suppose in your perspective is not that big, but for us, that's yeah, a lot. Yeah. That's like a tournament. Yeah. Day. That's just a normal <laughs> tournament for you guys. Um, and we, yeah, <laughs> so we just put the dogs and the horses in the truck with a couple of our, our staff, Zim, who obviously were, couldn't find any jobs, so we we brought them with, who had sort of stayed with us from the farming days when they were working with us. Because um, I think we had over 100 employees at the farm, and obviously, oh, man. you know, they were all now without a job. So we took as many as we could with us to South Africa and to try and help them out and give them a job. Yeah, and then we moved to Durban. We set up there. We found a place for our horses. And uh, we must have moved around in Durban maybe five, six times before we really settled in. I see uh, Kamala's Instagram. She's She's got uh, – she plays polo. And I look at these the scenery. Yeah. It's it's phenomenal. She's on the polo grounds. And, you know, once yeah. in a while you get to see, you know, Yanni briefly – uh, on the sideline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So wh where is He's that? Glorified, Camilla's glorified groom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Sure, Stoney will enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Cape Town is, is a beautiful place. Oh, it's Cape Town. Mm. Um, yeah, that's where yeah, Cape Town. So 
if you can ever get to Cape Town, they have the Cape Classic there, which is a tournament, which is a lot of fun. Uh, you just put your name and you don't go with the team and then they draw out of a hat and make even teams um, and, and they make it a fun tournament. So if you can ever get invited to, to that Cape Classic, I'd recommend it. It's brilliant. Yeah, my dad says, my dad's traveled the whole world. Okay. Hitchhiked around Australia, been all over. He claims that Cape Town, South Africa is the most beautiful place in the world, hands down. Yeah, unreal. We were actually, uh, my brother was supposed to get married in January, a couple of months um, in Cape Town. So I'd actually been in, in comms with uh, Camilla and Yanni and tried to, obviously it was out of the season, so it would have been hard to, uh, hard to play. Sure. But would have been awesome to try to get two things in one trip. Maybe with yeah. COVID, they'll postpone to the season and I'll get to uh, have a go with them. We'll see. Yeah, well, they've got they've got a full field there, so um, I'm sure they keep their horses in work all year round because they play polo and polo cross, which is different seasons. Oh, it is. So oh. I'm sure they'll be able to squeeze you in. And there's enough of them on that farm. There's Retiefs there, Yanni, Camilla. Get some games. You know, yeah. both of you guys there, you could definitely get a chucker in. Yeah, we'll make a plan. Yeah. So how far is that from Durban, where you were located? From Durban, it's far, far. Complete <laughs> 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 opposite ends of the ends of the country. Oh, so yeah, so, I'd say yeah. I'd say it's about a probably a twenty-hour drive. Oh, uh, or three, just like going to a to, just like going to a tournament for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still remember the, the longest trip I've done for polycross tournament in the car was that trip to Minnesota from Tennessee. <laughs> I think it took us fifteen hours, and when I had a look at the map of America, I was like, that that's like not even a quarter of you know the way up. Like, Man, how yeah. big is this country? <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about your, your family. Yeah. Would you say that, uh, I mean, you're pretty competitive with <laughs> Steph. Uh, did you teach him, <laughs> did you teach Steph a lot or is he, was he pigheaded? I mean, uh, what's his, um, uh, <laughs> was he pigheaded? Don't, uh, don't even <laughs> ask him that question. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Steph knows he learned from me. Uh, I'm sure you appreciate that. <laughs> um, but we are very competitive, uh, but uh, obviously, my favorite place and person to play with is my brother. Mm. Uh, we have a lot of fun on the field. Um, we, we've learned to link up well. He was always quite a bit younger than me, so in, in my teen years, I didn't really get to play with him. But as soon as he started playing some, you know, decent polycross, I took him long enough. Then, <laughs> then I got to play with him. Just um, to uh, and, yeah. to go on your competitiveness, there's a story from the Zambian Open, which maybe you can uh, hint on, or from you and Steph <laughs> playing together. <laughs> Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, I know the one you're talking about, yeah. yeah. So we were, playing, we were playing together. I was a three, he was the one. We were, we were actually having a decent game. Anyway, ball went out the back of the line. One of those fast ones, I had sort of offside pick up on the sideline and went for it. And he, he was going to meet me on the line. Anyway, it was flat out. I gave him a long pass and he put the ball through the goal. But I, wasn't, I still wasn't happy because he put pressure on the pass. Anyway, we scored this like quite a good goal, and you know the sidelines are all cheering, and everyone's quite happy. And myself and Steph break into a massive argument <laughs> because my side is he could have uh, come a bit closer, made the pass a bit easier, you know, 100% pilot cross, get the ball in the goal, do a what we call a panty dropper goal. So um, <laughs> I wasn't impressed with that. <laughs> so we had this That's massive a, would you, um, would you expect argument. Anything less from Steph. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had this massive argument on the way back to the line out swearing at each other and everyone was laughing at us because we had actually just scored a pretty good goal. <laughs> anyway, after the game, we were laughing about it and um, that's how we play. <laughs> so you being a, and I'm a three too, so I'm on your side on this one. Ones yeah. tend to be glory hounds and, you know. Don't the, talk you know, about it. You talk about this too much. 
That's good. And maybe, maybe, maybe I hate because I'm not as, you know, I'm not a great one as good, you know, as good as other one. But yeah, I, I could definitely see, you know, but you obviously made the, the high pressure pass because you're that good. But, um, but yeah, that's funny that you were arguing. <laughs> but, you know, make Buttercross easier if you can. Yeah. yeah but anyways, yeah. like I said, he, he was going for the glory as a typical number one does. And luckily <laughs> he still put it through the goal because if he hadn't put it through the goal, there would have been a lot more shouting. <laughs> <laughs> so when was that that was a zambian open how how long ago that, that was the 2018 one 2018 zambia open so how often do they yeah. have an open do you have an open? we have one every we yeah we have an open every year it's good to bring in you know outside players increase the level here because that's our um, biggest tournament of the year uh, it's also a good uh, revenue generating uh, activity you know uh, tournament so uh, it's really good because a lot of the proceeds from our open go towards the world cup fundraisers you auction off wild cards that kind of money goes towards obviously you've got to cover the tournament's cost but the you know the profits will go towards world cup so it's really good um it's actually something that we discussed when i came over in america to braxton and and i just said um i, I think i might have chatted to to rahul but i said get an get a high goal open going in america if you can you know because we believe americans do everything the best you know, one of the best shows you know if you have a look <laughs> at your super bowl and <laughs> or you know your your baseball games it's it's a show when you go there you thoroughly entertain and if you guys could do something like that in polycross and bring in some top players and i don't know how you'd work it because i understand you know everyone's spread out so much but you try and make it work work for everyone i think it'd right. be an amazing opportunity i'd love to come to something like that yeah. i think we could do, we could definitely do it the problem would be the the sponsorship here is it's so oh, tough really? because of that reason that you know you you go to approach whatever xyz company and then yeah. they say, well, you know, I'm based in North Carolina. What's in it for me if your, your tournament's in Alabama or whatever? So that's Fair the enough. problem with us is it's uh, unless you get a major, you know, major national uh, company, that yeah. always seems to be the problem is getting majors. I mean, it's easy to get these minor small sponsors, but to get sponsors at that level is quite challenging here. But I can imagine. It would be, that would be awesome to do. Amazing. Yeah, it seems like all around the world when I talk to people that it's just getting more expensive to have a horse. Yeah. Way back, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't even say it necessarily way back when, but there was a time when even in Australia, it was cheaper to have more horses. And, and it seems like everyone here that we had sort of our prime young, young players when Raul first came in the early 2000s. And when they grew up, they couldn't afford to play anymore that we sort of lost a lot of those players and we haven't refilled like you are in Zambia. Um, so that's just, yeah. it's just tough, but I know that uh, New Zealand is trying to put together. I've heard that they might be trying to put together an open as well. Yeah. <laughs> and you think about, I think yeah. they have already. Once you supposed yeah. to go, you lost your, I was Monday. supposed to go. Yeah. It was, it was in February. Uh, they, they, they end up having it or just before sort of the COVID lockdowns came around. But I was supposed to be one of the wild cards. And then my visa got processed in Beijing for some reason. And uh, but never mind. <laughs> ended up, yeah, it ended up getting locked up in the office when, when you know, China went into lockdown. I, I tried to, we tried everything. Um, the the Polacross committee in, in New Zealand tried to New Zealand immigration in New Zealand. And they just said, look, we can't, we can't do anything. So I ended up missing it. But um Hopefully, I'll get invited again next year. COVID isn't a problem. You know, you look at polo, and there's this high goal circuit. They're just playing nonstop year-round, and it's a it's a job for them. We could get, not necessarily as a job, but we could get to that point where we could have year-round. They could all be coordinated. You're yeah. there. So, you know, you can get that going. That would be phenomenal for the sport. 
if it was here in the States, the prize would definitely be a big belt buckle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That'll be from get, Texas. Yeah, we could get uh, Budweiser to sponsor or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Have a few kegs of beer. Yeah. Yeah, we need to do something like that for sure. It's hard. Well, I hate to say that everything's hard here, but I had talked to, to Sophie and Greg and, and Chaps earlier this year. Yeah. And Zim, you know, we were supposed to go to Zim. Uh, the men, the men's team was. And that'll probably get postponed. Oh, really? okay. next, they were supposed to do a Barbarians where they invited us. And whatever Yanks couldn't come, they were going to fill in with some other countries. And okay. um, so that, that'll probably happen next year. But we had talked about, you know, just getting anyone over here, getting them to come over. We'll have our long list of players chosen by mid-December. Robbie will be picking the team in the spring of 2022. Okay. Next year's going to be tough. I mean, I just... With the way COVID's going, who knows? We don't seem to care. We keep playing. Uh, uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a lot of time. I'm sure we could coordinate something where we get some players over just to play against us, play with us. That would be nominal. Um, Pick me. <laughs> <laughs> so no, so we definitely will do stuff, something like that. Uh, even if it's not yeah. a, even if it's not a high goal or anything like that, it, at least just get six players over, you know, it, on the long, on the long list, if there's 10 players, 10 men, 10 women, or, or nine each, we could work out something where we could have several teams and yeah. uh, play them up, you know, have you play with us. Um, yeah, I think it would be brilliant. Um, on top of obviously the, the value that these players would bring into from a playing perspective, it's also, uh, it, it drives interest in the club members to come and see these players. So when you bring in international players, you know, the, sort of you, you create a bit of interest in the, from a club level as well because they want to see these players they want to learn from them so i always find it a very a positive thing to bring in international players keep changing things up keep it a little bit different but keep that interest in your club players i feel like the uk in the early 2000s they had a huge advantage their their top play was very it was very tough shannon burbage you know obviously uh jason they had webby there this you know the sergeants yeah. were there and the level just went way up. Yeah. And then a couple of their, you know, a couple of them married into it and they stayed and uh, we just failed to do anything like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's it's a, such a big thing. And so as much as that as we can do. But yeah, I feel like everyone that's going for World Cup will have to have at least two horses anyways. And we'll have, we should yeah. be putting things together like that. Our nationals is supposed to happen next year. But no, we yeah. should definitely have something inbound. Hopefully, Robbie can coordinate something like that. Are most of your horses that you play just off the track, or I know that you're getting some stock horse bloodlines over there? Um, at least I know Lauren did. Yeah. Um, are you trying that, or, or have you stuck with with off the track thoroughbreds? Yeah. So currently, I've only got off the track thoroughbreds. Um, I buy my horses from Kimala and Yanni actually because uh, they they got a good setup in Cape Town where uh, Kimala used to work for. Um, Feeler Choices horse moving uh, company uh, where she works with a lot of the racetracks and the polo guys so every time that you know she got to know the horse trainers the polo guys the players uh, very well so every time there was a horse off the track that they would look they would think would suit polo cross you know they'll get hold of Camilla same with the polo guys if there was a horse that was a little bit too hot um, a little bit too all over the place for polo they'll get hold of Camilla they've got a good opportunity there where they, and they've Yanni and Kamala have got both got very good eyes for horses. You know, I can trust them to find me good horses. However, uh, I would like to get some um, of that stock horse line. You know, a mixture of stock horse and thoroughbred is, is very good for polycross. If you can get the agility of the stock horses combined with the power of the thoroughbreds. Uh, if you can get the combination right, you, you'll get a really nice hybrid. 
<laughs> right. So, um, which seems to be working in South Africa. So my top horse in South Africa, actually the one that I played in all the high goals in SA, uh, she was called Honey. She was, one, she was actually my dad's horse, but um, I used to play every time I went there. Uh, we retired her after that high goal tournament last year and put her into fall with, with um, Icelander before he, he passed on a couple of months ago. But he was um, half stock horse, half thoroughbred. And the theory is sort of coming to maybe quarter stock horse, quarter therapy might be the best option as opposed to half and half so we'll see how that fall turns out do you think that it'll change the, sort of the, the bidding for the horses what i mean by that is you get a horse off the track they tend to have harder mouths right so you're fighting yeah. them a bit and so yeah. if you're able to bring them up from young you know young horses you can uh, have more of an influence on that just have a softer mouth definitely yeah yeah uh, i think we like a, a horse more forward going so as long as a horse has learned to run, I'd rather the horse learn to run and then work on its mouth. I right. think, or maybe differently. Uh, I think Australia is probably the other way around. I know they like a horse to, to you know, sit and then they, you know, they're quite good at getting a horse moving. I'd prefer a horse to learn to run first and then teach its mouth. It's interesting you say that because that's what the, that's what Charlie and Sarah said last week when I interviewed them that their horses learn to okay. run before they learn to they learn to go fast before they learn to go slow and it's yeah it's just the way that they're trained. They don't have the time to spend. So they just kind of, yeah, they, they break them in 10 days and they throw them out for a yeah. year and then bring them back. So yeah, yeah so, and they some produce of, some phenomenal horses. Some of our, as you know firsthand, some of our best horses that we've ever had were back in the day when my mother brought over some stock horses. They were breeding to thoroughbreds. Okay. Ro, Ro ended up with one. And yeah, they just, you're right. There tends to be a, a good balance there. When I, when I came over for that, in 2016 for that uh, exhibition games, there was quite a big difference between your top horses and then your average horses. That's something I did notice. Like your top horses were really good. I mean, Raul had that horse special. That was a top, top horse. My brother played a horse of Robbie's. It was actually a remedy. Um, yeah. Remedy. Remedy. Uh, that, yeah, that was a very good horse. It was Braxton's yeah. horse, Venus. And the other horse, you I had, had of Braxton's, um, the chestnut. Can't remember who you rode. The now. chestnut of Braxton's. It was very good out the back. Uh, it didn't have, it got to fourth gear and then sort of forgot how to run, but it had everything else. <laughs> yeah, <thank laughs> um, but there was quite a big difference between your, your top horses and then your sort of your average club members horse. It was a massive gap, which I hadn't experienced before. And, and more so these days, some of the top players are making their own horses, but there aren't, okay. there are only a few that I, I would call just trainers. Other than the players, there's a few that just have forever sure. been, been breaking and training horses. Um, that's something that I never took a lot of interest in and I never, you know, got good at it or, or took a lot, took, took it upon myself. In Australia, there's just so much horsemanship. There's uh, oh, yeah. five generations of horsemen and, and they just know how to do it. Yeah. But yeah. And they so, got so many different studs. Uh, yeah. yeah. The pool there is a lot bigger, isn't it? And so and we're getting a lot more stock horses. We're getting a lot more, uh, a lot higher quality horse. We don't have people producing to sell. And if you get your hands on a stock horse, you're not selling that thing. You're, you know, you're going to keep oh, really? it for yourself. Okay. So, you know, we're not, we're not having someone that, that produces them and sells them or anything like that. Is there uh, any sort of quarter horse cross thoroughbred? Because then you uh, have quite a lot of quarter horses. I don't know. What do you, would that, you say uh, about you, that? You, yeah, I just remembered that horse you're talking of the Hamlers, Beamer. She's a quarter horse. Beamer. That's yeah, the reason I couldn't, I couldn't That's remember cool. is because she's actually, I think she's retired now because she's quite old. So that's why when you're yeah, she was old enough chestnut, I'm like, shit, which chestnuts do they have playing? But yeah, she was quite quite good out the back. 
but yeah, she's a she's yeah. a quarter. I think they actually uh, they bred her to Zara to that stud, the Starcourt stud. I just I don't know if she took or not. They had trouble the first time, but I think they tried again. So hopefully they'll get lucky there because that would be that would be quite a cool uh, cross. And Renee, yeah. sure, Ryan, you might know Renee might have some quarter horses crossed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know if it's if it can't be the same there. We we have several disciplines we have the western which is very heavily quarter yeah. horse and then we have english which tends to be more thoroughbreds and so oh, okay, just a, yeah. it, it sort of depends on where you, you know how you grew up riding what you have you look at uh, charles saucy charles and karen that have saucy farm they uh, yeah. they did a lot of cutting is that right Raul? Uh, okay. yeah um, yeah karen used to do some, uh, her dad does raining and i think mainly raining not cutting yeah, but, um, raining. They, yep. They've been pull across con- converts now, so they had to transit. They transitioned over from. from the but it is. Yeah, I, I, I got a great. You, right, back in the day, they were, or not even back in the day, just a couple of years ago, there was quite a big gap, like you said, with the top kind of top players all had pretty good, at least one good horse, maybe a second, and then it was a yeah. quite a big drop off. But you know, with the World Cup and us having some of the you guys coming, and then the Irish coming, and James kind of forcing us to have more horses ready like we each had to put in three yeah. horses last year yeah and so over the past two two years ago maybe two three years there there has been an improvement in horsepower for sure across the board yeah um the top players have maybe one or two extra and then that middle crop of players have also learned and realized that in order for them to get to the top they need better horses and so yeah it's slowly Slowly but surely, we're getting there. I think it's a good principle to have, um, you know, where James made sure that you guys had to have three horses because you, you then go and start working and finding more horses and uh, yep. building up a string so that we, so that you can have, host uh, big international tours. Right. Uh, because yeah. when you've got international tours, you need a lot of horses and you need a lot of horses at that level. So if each, you know, World Cup sort of squad member has three, four horses, you're then going to have a big enough pool to start hosting big tours. And, right. and that's what you want to develop your, to, to develop your players. You want South Africa, Australia, Zambia, whoever mm-hmm. to come to your Zimbabwe, to, to, to America to play. And you need the horses for that, to keep them interested and to keep them coming back. Yeah. Just imagine yeah. if you, if you were a, a married couple, that was on the World Cup team and had had four for each. Raul and Sarah, yeah. they, they've done a good we job. Six, six yeah. scoring last year. It was quite uh, that plus that can be tough, <laughs> work. And, I mean, you've, you've seen how small our property is. It's uh, yeah. quite challenging. But what, what, what that can do is, you know, let's say, like, it, you're, you're the perfect example. Trying to find six horses is quite tough. So you could have two each and then go to a club member in your club who's got a decent horse and say, listen, would you lend me this horse? for the World Cup uh, or these two horses. And the advantage to you is we'll school your horses, show you how to school horses, uh, and you can pass that sort of knowledge on. So I think it is a good concept because even if you can't either afford to have three horses each or don't have the resources, the, the space, you then, you then get in touch with your club members and say, hey, can you help me out? And in return, I'll help you out and teach you how to bring, on sure. more, you know, bring in horses to this class. So that's why I'm a big believer in this multi-horse concept that's coming out now um, because it's gonna it's gonna grow the pool i know the big people away <laughs> yeah yeah i know that i know the you know this whole um, slogan of the king of the one horse sport um but i i think if you want to grow the sport you gotta you, you gotta introduce more horses that's my opinion i know it's very well, <laughs> a very I, sensitive topic well i've come around a lot on it and it's totally different okay. top level trying to prep horses for internationals 
uh, for that yeah. B grade, B grade or lower, one horse probably doesn't. You know, you, if you can't afford, you can get it, away with one horse. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I do, so what I, we yeah. did in in Zambia is um, we we obviously that was kind of the conclusion is yes, the A graders need two three horses, but everyone else doesn't. So we started. That's how we started. Was okay. The A division can be a multi horse tournament. We allow two horses, but then the B and the C division you stick to one horse. And I think that works really well because the players who want to develop and get better um, and, and are happy to spend the money will. But the players who are there, what we call the weekend warriors, who are there just for fun, they don't necessarily want to play for the country. Uh, they just want to have, you know, it's their social getaway, it's their hobby. They can only have to have one horse and not feel disadvantaged. I, th I think for the top level, it's crucial. It's not necessary for the bottom levels or the, the mid-levels, but uh, for the top level, I think it's important. Here's a blaring question. Okay, Raul's shorter than you, and he's got Tyrannosaurus Rex arms, and he's on a tiny horse. <laughs> do you have a preference yeah. with horse size to make up for yes. you do? So you like them bigger or smaller? Smaller, because I, I prefer agility. As opposed, okay. You know, I'm not a physical sure. player, although okay. a couple of swings might come across a bit hard. <laughs> um <laughs> I prefer a horse that, that's athletic so that I can get to the ball quickly. You know, like you said, Ryan, we both play a number three majority of the time. And a lot of people think it's a defense, defensive position. I look at it differently. I, I see it as an attacking position. My theory is it's last line of attack because when the ball comes in, if you're one and two, don't get it. It's all up to you. You've got to get the ball to be able to get the goal. If you're one and two, haven't, haven't managed to do their job and bring it down or catch it, whatever the, you know, whatever your strategy is. So... I look at it as an attack position first, and then if we don't get the ball, then, okay, fine, then you become defensive. I need a good one because what happens is, like with your brother, uh, he won't miss it, but my ones miss it. Then I have to play Steph defense. Steph misses it. Don't give him a bigger head, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> he, just so then, like, he makes it look extra flashy. <laughs> yeah. Just for fun. I must say, he has got good stick work, but don't put that on the podcast. I don't want him hearing that. <laughs> yeah, so then I end up having to play defense. But, yeah, I've always put that in my mind, sure. that it's an offensive position are there things in the lineup that obviously you're always trying to gain you know the right position to get the ball in the lineup whether it's stretching the lineup out uh moving up in the line out uh whether you're hitting rackets whether you're not are there things that people do that are you might call illegal that they get away with all the time that piss you off or are you partaking in that uh I'll, I'll, look uh, i try as soon as possible but um you know, if I have to, because the other person's doing it, I'm not going to, you know, and the umpire's not picking up on it. I'm not going to sit there and cry and, and moan about it. I'm going to do what I have to do. Yeah. You know, prime example, I, I, <laughs> I think we can all agree, like, one of the best threes in the world is Lance Anderson. And I wouldn't say he's the cleanest number three <laughs> I've ever lined up against. <laughs> I'm sure Rahul also figured that out. But um, I'm not going to sit there and cry about it. You know, if he's, right. if he's doing something that's not really legal and umpire's not picking up on it, I will do something back. I have no issues doing it. If do, however, I won't do it. I'll, I'll I'll play to the rules. And I think the big misconception is, you know, a lot of people say, "Are oh, you cheating or whatever?" It's it's all about pushing the boundaries. You know, the law is there. Play to the edge of that. You know, to the edge of the law. See what you can get away with. Um, you don't have to be a complete cheat. But you look at someone like another sport, uh, rugby, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with. Um, a guy called Richie McCaw, the All Blacks captain. I don't know if you know him. No. Um, okay, so one of the greatest, if not the greatest rugby player of all time, kind of your Tom Brady equivalent. He was always pushing the boundary when it came to this specific position he played where a lot of people called him a cheat, but he was just really good at what he did. And sometimes he got away with it, sometimes he didn't. He played to the ref or to the umpire. Mm -hmm. And my theory is play 
you know, push those boundaries, see what you can get away with without being a full out cheat. Yeah. I, uh, I remember playing against Gavin in a, in the world cup. <laughs> uh, he, we were both twos, you know, this sort of shocked me, but you know, he just, he, that's what he did. We're both in there. We've got our rackets up. And when the ball comes in, he just down hit trying to catch it, but he's just down hitting yeah. just like this. And of course the rest yeah. didn't call it. And I, you know, I had to figure something out. I remember uh, playing against one of the Aussies. Maybe it was Trent Cooper. No, I don't know. But it, as a two and right before the ball came in, he budged my horse over, you know, just gaining that yeah. advantage. I, I would say that, yeah, you've got to play, play to the advantage. And then someone that you spoke about that we bleeped out in the beginning of the podcast, um, who's very flashy, like, like your brother, um, you know, he's held my racket down in the line out just, put his whole, you know, arm over and, uh, that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff, that's, that's, that's frustrating, but yeah, you can't whinge about it. You've got to, you got to play to the rules. But yeah. I the think thing that, is if you start, yeah. if you start whinging too much and, and your focus is taken away from your job now, you know, you, you can have a chat to your captain who can have a chat to the umpire and say, listen, can you just watch out for this? You know, if, if nothing happens, then make a plan. Um, otherwise he's won already without having to go to the next lineup because your head's not in the right space. Your focus isn't there. Um, you know, sometimes you just got to get on with it and make a plan. Yeah, that's a and really... I, you know, not to say the other thing, I think in this country we, we're pretty bad. Well, we're getting better now, but the, the way games are called are quite different from international. And as you've already alluded to, the, the games are getting faster and faster and players are getting quicker and quicker. And, you know, the minute you put your racket stick up and look to the umpire for a call, that the ball's in the other 30 and the, through the post already. Yeah. And so... Yeah. You know, you do two of those, and now you're down, what, I guess, eight goals, technically. And so it, you can't afford to do that in those kind of games. You know, in, in your club games, sure, yeah. you get a little bit. But in the, on the international stage, it's, it's pointless. Everyone's going to do it. Yeah. So like, as long as you're not being Absolutely. truly dirty and cheating too much, then yeah. I mean, it's fair game, I think. You got to yeah. understand, everyone's, you know, playing, you know, especially international levels, playing for their country. So everyone's going to push the boundaries here and there see what they can get away with. Um, if you let that get to you, then, then yeah, you've already lost. Yeah, I've seen, it's typically twos, but I've, I've seen some of the better players here, uh, what, not not now, but back then, because um, I'm old, that they would think more about cheating than anything else. Like they, they were always trying yeah. something. And like you said, it takes your mind away from positive play, doing what you're supposed to, yeah. it takes you out of the game. They, they would get into these little tussles with the other two, it would get thrown off the field. Yeah. I mean, and it was just, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. I think, yeah. Focusing on positive plays and not whinging. Definitely. It's some, it's a muscle we all could, you know, grow a little bit better, you know, toughen up. Yeah. I remember playing yeah. against Sibo uh, in WA 2010. Club yeah. Yeah. First, first Chaka, my game over there. Right. You know, everything's going really fast and I, I go down to pick up the ball and he just T-bones yeah. me right in the shoulder, my, my racket <laughs> arm. I was like, oh, geez. and uh, I thought that was a little bit cheeky, but yeah, I had a good learning experience with Tony Higgs, who is infamous for being North Field. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it was at a family tournament, so it was all fun and, you know, one of those fun tournaments. Well, I played with my brother and my sister, but my brother was like 12 back then. I must have been about 18 and my sister was 16 or so. And we played against Tony and his daughters who were also sort of my brother's age. So it was one of those fun, fun tournaments. You know, we come into the lineup and we're both playing once. I'm, I'm racket out and he's racket in. You know, we're walking up to the umpire and I sort of see his right hand comes behind my head. So I think, 
oosh, what what trick is coming here? Because I, you know, as I said, Tony is, is infamous for for his, his naughty tricks. And um, as the, the umpire cocked his hand to throw the ball in, my head ended up on the horse's neck with my helmet getting pushed over and pushed down like this. And it, by the time I came up, he had the ball and was on the way to the 30-yard line. And I looked up and the umpire thought it was so funny, he just let it play on. <laughs> you know, it was one of those fun tournaments. So you do learn a lot of tricks from the old boys. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, that's why I wear a face mask so that it makes a dinging noise when I'm getting you know, hit. Because um, your face doesn't really <laughs> no, make the same noise. <laughs> no, but you can you can make it known, you know. Sometimes <laughs> they call me Hollywood here because if I get in the face, I'll uh, make some noise, you know. Um, <laughs> my favorite my favorite moment here yeah, was a guy called Connor Willisco. I don't know if you guys remember him. Yeah. Anyway, he gave me a good good one on the cheek. Obviously, naturally, I did let out a bit of a squeal. It wasn't Hollywood. <laughs> and the umpire then blew his whistle and gave us the goal on the board. And I just heard Connor shouting, you know, you Hollywood, what's wrong with you? And when I turned at him, I had a walt from across my cheek here. It was already blue. And he just burst out laughing. He's like, okay, sorry, mate. I can see I did hit you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the initial reaction is that you've just been assaulted and you want to come back at them and you have to resist that feeling, right? Yeah, yeah, especially with Connor. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's good. That's a good story. Yeah, I can't recall being hit in the face that. Have you been hit like that, Raul? Uh, I mean, uh, as long as I play it, I probably have, but not yeah. not any. I wear face guard now, too, because my, my as you know, Polacross doesn't pay the bills, and so I have to yeah. have my eyes for what I do. Um, so I, I can't afford a, a bad hit to the eye and lose my eyesight. Yeah. That, that is why I play play with glasses because I think, um, you know, you can replace teeth. It might be expensive, but you can't replace an eye. So, you know, even a visor, I mean, I was, I was there when Charles Duplessis got hit. I was playing in his team and oh, Zim, Zim Open. Um, yeah. And he was sort of, you know, in the peak of his career, maybe on his way out, but he was still one of the best players around. He had a visor on and he got hit between the visor and he lost, I think, 90% or 80% vision in his eye. Oh, shit. And I didn't um, know he, he never really... Re- really played polypus after that so i think glasses is my number one protection take those eyes so they're are they sort of ballistic glasses yeah they they're the protection one so uh, actually when i came over played yeah, you guys yeah. role um uh, i had those glasses i just bought i think they were yeah they they the protective ones and i bought them uh, in new york actually in times square just before I came to see you guys. When we were playing up in Minnesota, uh, Dory was marking me. I'm she'll give you a Missed my racket straight. I promise you right there where the eyeball is. Um, I've still got the mark on those lenses. And if I hadn't done that, you know, I could have, you know, could have been in the same position. So <laughs> I think it's important to wear them. Yeah. Yeah, that's For a good sure. point. What kind of music you're listening to? What do you listen to? <laughs> Not much at the moment because... Uh, <laughs> Is my baby crying? Oh, <laughs> yeah. That, that's all I can hear at the moment. Otherwise, yeah, any sort of anything really. I've got a mixed mix genre of music. How tough is your workout right, for personal fitness? I know yeah. you, you've got uh, Steph is a quite a specimen. <laughs> yeah, um, he's uh, he's on another level. <laughs> but that, that's just too far, right? Who, no one wants to live at that body fat percentage. No, no, so, no one wants to eat broccoli and chicken every day, every meal. Six <laughs> do you do a lot of running when you're playing or what's your big uh, what's your so uh, when i'm getting fit for uh well i'll do a mixture of 
cardio and, and weights just to keep sort of lean and mean. Um, I do think CrossFit style fitness is very good for polar cross because it's explosive. It's high intense workouts where maybe for 20 minutes you're non-stop and then you get a 10 minute break, 15 minute non-stop, five minute break. And that kind of simulates polar cross in a way because you'll have a eight minute chucker of high intensity and then you get to rest for a bit and then you come back on. A bit of CrossFit style training helps. And then I will run like in the mornings, I'll do a sort of 5K run, 6K run. And then in the evenings, I'll do either weightlifting or CrossFit type workout. I feel like I'm always missing the part, the stretching part, because especially when you do a lot of <laughs> running, right? You're And you feel a yeah. lot more when you're older, but I feel like stretching is just a piece that I'm always missing. I'm sure, yeah, okay. Is that your excuse for not running? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't no, want to no, stretch? No, uh, I still have it ringing in my ear when uh, James Hacklin, when I interviewed him, he said, well, you better start running. So echoing in my ear. I hate James, Be careful of James. He's another fitness freak. He does James, all sorts is on, of... yeah, James is on a whole nother level. Yeah, he's very fit. So don't take him on in any running. It was quite good for <laughs> us, actually, with the, with the 19 World Cup because he uh, put together this pretty brutal workout with uh, actually with Braxton and Garrett's uncle and um, yeah. yeah we had to send him weekly updates of these these workouts they were quite hectic um, it was even now I was pretty yeah. fit but it was it was challenging to finish some of them yeah but, I'm sure yeah, running was. Uh, running is for the birds I hate I hate it yeah. terrible before the, the World Cups, both the 2015 and 2019, we had to do fitness tests. As you know, my, my dad was the coach. And anyway, the, the first fitness test we ever did, <laughs> we, we had a beep test as part of the test. Oh, and oh I've the done that. Terrible. Oh. Yeah, you know, it's terrible. It's painful. That, yeah. that thing was, yeah, so, I, I was about that. So that first test, we um, it was in December. And uh, obviously, we had enjoyed you know the holiday season. For us, that's holiday season. It's kind of like your summer. I wasn't at my in my fittest uh, shape ever, and my dad was quite fit at the time. So it came to the beep test, and and coach said, "Right, I'm going to join you guys," which did make me worry a little bit. Anyway, I think we must have got to about a level ten. You know, we weren't that fit, and my dad and I were still the only the last two going. The my other teammates had dropped out. I could not. I was everything was burning, man. My lungs, my legs. I just wanted to stop, but I could not let my dad beat me. <laughs> Anyway, I, I managed to, to beat him by one point. But when, you know, when I did cross that point, I was done. That was the <laughs> hardest test I've done in my life. <laughs> when I hear that, the beeps, I can still hear them from back yeah. in those days. It's, ter- it's a yeah. terrible sound. Yeah. And then that, the voice. Oh, gosh. Makes me want to throw up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think we got to probably, what, 10 or 11. Ryan uh, Strider. We had Ryan Strider, who's, who's a freak. Ryan Strider's a literal Yeah, cell. I think uh, in the last one, Johnny Ray was our fittest. Um, for this job. He, uh, he must have got to about 16, somewhere there. So we're guys, pretty fit for this last World Cup. Do you guys do crocodile races? We, I think <laughs> we did some over there. I, I, yeah. I remember I've got a couple of pictures on my phone of our crocodile race role. So just, before, uh, just before sad person got punched, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct. So, who was the, the base? Who was the... Who was the base? I think it might have been Steph because he loves his bench press. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Rahul and I weren't the first to get picked for, you know, uh, for the cocktail race team because uh, <laughs> we were, we were a bit happily left. spectators with our, uh, yeah. our long reach arms. Do you do ultimate when you're with the team preparing? Do you do ultimate pole across where you're playing on foot? So uh, we call it netball or basketball. That's really good fitness as well as good for spatial awareness. And we, we generally do it before every, you know, when we're preparing for the World Cup, we're always having a lot of training sessions. And we try and start with that because it gets the blood flowing, gets everyone sort of, you know, get that first 
lung burn up um, and, and gets the stick work sort of flowing. So when he comes to the drills, he nicely warmed up. It's a very, very good drill. What do you do for work? Pri- private wealth manager. So oh. we, we look at offshore investments and basically estate planning. Oh, so you can do that from home, obviously, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Luckily, um, you know, there are still some regulations where you need original signatures, but luckily we can use the courier for that. Zambia is, uh, I just remember when I was there, I remember hearing the sort of the history of, of Zambia and how they had yeah. lost, they had lost every war. So all the pacifists, all those <laughs> kind people had, had moved to Zambia. So there's a, uh, I'm sure it's a nice place to live. I, I remember. Yeah, so. it is a very friendly place. Um, very politically stable for the area we live in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, I still it's remember that, that tour we, uh, we were going to, I don't know, dinner or to town or something. And I can't remember who was driving, but it was myself and, Ryan, I think a couple of the other U.S. guys on the back of the truck going into into Lusaka, and we we come to a roundabout, and uh, you know we stop at the roundabout, and of course, uh, me being from Zim, I know what's about to happen, and so yeah. I'm watching these old spaces, and the locals just swarm the truck, you know, trying to sell stuff, yeah. and the looks on these guys' faces was priceless because they <laughs> must have thought, that, yeah, they they must have thought that shit, their life is coming to an end here. <laughs> so, well, that's <laughs> That's because we don't. I said, don't don't worry. They'll be very friendly. Just uh, buy a couple of things, and you'll you'll feed their themselves. And you'll be fine. Their <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't buy puppies that way though. So we're not used to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Shame. <laughs> no. Poor puppies. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. This is awesome. There were so many good gems. I appreciate it. Appreciate both of your time. Pleasure, Ron. And thank so, you for, for hosting and, and uh, thank you for wearing the Zambia Polico shirt. Really <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll talk to Robbie. We'll see what we can get done for next year. See if we can get some people over, at least in, within the Definitely next two years. Definitely. We'll be keen. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, I, I know the Zambian, Zambian um, committee and, and team would be very keen to come over if that ever comes across as an option. We've got a lot of juniors who, who need some exposure. Uh, which might work nicely for you guys. Um, we've got a new team, basically. So, awesome. um, yeah, it would be great if we could come over. Are they all lefties? <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't think we've got any lefties left. I think, the, you know, depending if Audrey and, and Lauren and Kelly, I don't know what their plans are yet, but uh, there's no new lefties coming in. <laughs> and there's no there's no one that looks like a giraffe, right? You don't have any big play. You don't have any mic. <laughs> No, we've got a couple of juniors who look pretty tall, but I don't think they're as tall as Mike. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good evening. Cool. Nice chatting, Dan. Love to Nixon. Thanks, guys. You too. Send some more All photos. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll do. Sounds and good. love to everyone there. Uh, yeah. We'll catch up soon. Awesome. All right. Cheers, guys. All right. Cheers, guys. Have a good Thank one. you, man. Yep. Good. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. Damien is first class, and I appreciated all of the thoughtful answers he gave. There are so many elements of family, horses, and competition that represent all that is good in the sport. And how lucky are we when Grace, with the wise gem, an interview like this provides. Here on Chucka Talk, we appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave a voicemail by finding the Send Voicemail Sidebar button on PolacrossMadeSimple.com. For more Polacross coaching, go to PolacrossMadeSimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one.